Welcome to the Bi-Coastal Hootenanny, starring Nate and Adam. I am and Adam. Adam Tootenanny Wilson, that is, in Brooklyn, New York, where it is currently 63 degrees Fahrenheit. Nate has the day off today, which makes today a Tootenanny Tuesday. Hey, Hootenanners, good to see you. Uh, today is Tuesday, the day before Wednesday, the day before the World Series starts, in fact. And if you make an A to C jump with that, you can get to my good friend right here, Brian West. Brian, how you doing? Good, Adam. How are you doing today? Dandy. Now, the last time we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you were gearing up to head to the LSU-Florida game where you were going to be a part of the 2003 BCS National Championship reunion thing. How was that thing? Tell me about it. Uh, I tell you, Adam, it was, it was tremendous. I would say probably 75 guys uh, showed up for it, uh, had a, had a uh, great reception for us Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you see those guys, you hadn't seen a lot of them really since you finished playing 10 years, nine years ago. And, and just, just like you saw them the day before, uh, caught up, had a great time. Um, uh, they had the reception at the LaBerge there in Baton Rouge, new casino resort they just built. Yeah. And uh, re- really, really put on a good show. Saban had a little six minute video that he shot, you know, specifically for that uh, 2003 group and nice. uh, had a tremendous time. Went to the game the next day. Uh, Tigers won, got to go out there on the field at halftime. Uh, like I said, just get to hear the crowd again, see the crowd again. It was a little hot. Uh, yep. You know, the old saying of you can't never have too much fun. Well, 70 of us tried to push the limits on that. We, we didn't have too <laughs> much fun, but we sure tried. Right. Um and uh, you know, just what was was great to see all those guys and and see where everybody was at. And and you know what? Even though it's been ten years, nobody's really changed a whole lot. We're still all a whole bunch of screwballs that were running around out there, uh, you know, trying to tackle each other or, or whatnot uh, ten years ago. But what what a tremendous weekend! Had a, had a great time. How great a feeling it must have been to hear Dan Bournet say for the first time in about ten years over the loudspeaker, number fifty four from West Monroe, Louisiana, a linebacker. Brian, assisted tackle, West. There and the, and but the crowd erupted, and I don't know if it because I was in between Corey Webster and Matt Mock. I don't <laughs> think it had anything to do with it, but I'm pretty sure that's why you couldn't really hear my name because they were right. gearing up for me uh, uh, before they announced me. So. <laughs> The crowd noise must have been something similar to the uh, typical United Center crowd after hearing the words, from North Carolina. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, just, it was pretty, uh, very, very similar to that, yes. Now, at halftime of the game, I was watching on TV in Midtown Manhattan. At uh, halftime of the game, they showed a shot of you guys, you know, kind of panned from left to right of all. 70 or so of you guys and I saw you standing next to Rodney Reed with whom we went to school at West Monroe and every time I see Rodney every time I see a picture or a shot of Rodney I get so mad that you guys held back in eighth grade because for two reasons a if you hadn't held back I would have graduated with you two which would have been great and b uh, if you hadn't held back I would not have won the award at the class reunion for most hair lost because Rodney uh, Rodney's got me beat I'm playing for the silver well I I, th- I think Rodney won that one in junior high. It started falling out uh, <laughs> our ninth grade, freshman year of high school, much less freshman year of college. And uh, yeah, he uh, he. I, th- I think you know Rodney's thirty three. He's had uh, 
he's not had hair more than he's had hair in his life, and he's only 33 years old. God, so. that's right. Uh, it's like that sign when you when you realize that you've had a driver's license longer than you've not had a driver's license. And you and I have passed that age, but now, God, Rodney's got it with hair, and I, I guess I'm, God, I'm coming up on that soon. This is uh, it's pretty rough, man. Uh, and damn you for having the beautiful head of hair that you have, Brian. <laughs> But uh, like I say, yeah, R- Rodney was there. Got to see him, you know, and and seeing all those guys. And believe it or not, you know, you on well, that 03 team. I mean, you know, you had three guys from OCS. You know, you had you had four of us from West Monroe. So you know that, that Washtenaw Parish, Northeast Louisiana, had a big, big part of that uh, of that roster uh, that year. So funny you say that because um, I mean, you know, we come from Northeast Louisiana, and I was just. I remember. I was thinking about this the other day. I remember in 1988, where uh, Neville High School out of Monroe won the. Uh, they they were third place out of five in uh, District Two Four A at the time, and then the next year they went into Texas into Marshall and beat the Five A state champions in Texas and just beat the dog crap out of them. And that that's when yeah. I started wondering: Are people in this area just better at football than anybody else on the face of the planet? And I guess they are because if you look at NFL rosters today and NFL rosters for the past 25 or so years. Uh, North Louisiana as a state among the 50 puts in more people per capita in the NFL and Northeast Louisiana specifically puts more people uh, in, in college football per capita than any other region of, uh, of Louisiana and any other region uh, in the country. It's quite amazing. It, you know, it, it is. And I've had people ask me that and I've looked at it and, uh, you know, I, I got, I've got to just the culture of this area, I guess, maybe the you know, the, the football begins at an early age and is taken with a lot of importance. Um, and, and the fact of, you know, you're talking about an area that's more blue collar than white collar. And uh, I remember laying concrete uh, in the summer and my dad telling me, look, you don't have to play football. But if you if you don't, you're going to go lay concrete and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And I went, man, I'd much rather go out there and play football than go do do, do you know, do, go do that blue collar work. And, and that's the case with a lot of guys. So, you know, I think a lot of it's just the culture that, uh, you know, uh, that we grew up in. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's high school football, Johnny's Pizza, Baptist churches, jet skis on the Washita, a lot of hunting and fishing. If you like all those things, America, West Monroe, Louisiana just might be the place for you. You got it. Now, uh, before you, or right after you committed to Texas A&M, uh, to play football, you were drafted number 35 overall in the uh, the Major League Baseball draft. Now, 35, and it was a first round pick. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't realize we had 35 teams. How how was that first round? If you were uh, drafted number 35, if there's only 30 teams. Well, it uh, and kind of uh, leading into what we'll talk about with the World Series about Michael Waka. You know, whenever a team loses a free agent, a la Albert Pujols. Uh, in the MLB, uh, grades him out as a grade A free agent or a grade B free agent. Oh. So uh, when a team loses, uh, when a team loses a free agent, uh, they grade them out. And not all free agents are A or B. But to help compensate that that organization for losing such a big free agent, they are they are given a compensation pick. That's right. After That's the right. first round, before the second round, for a grade mm-hmm. A free agent loss and then for a grade B loss they are given a compensation pick after the second round before the third round. Oh, so, so you were you were one of these picks. Now that makes me curious what player that the White Sox lost were you drafted for? Uh I, I helped fill the void after Albert Bell left. Wow. So, uh, I, I, but uh, you know, hey, that's great. I mean they kind of saw me the same way. You know, uh, maybe not quite, but uh it uh that that that's kinda how that works whenever you hear 
35th pick is it first second round it's really both but it's the first supplemental round so it's really kind of however you need to spin it so you may have significantly less melanin in your skin you may not have the drinking problem that albert bell had but i guarantee you can deadlift more than that son of a bitch uh, I, I would say so his pocketbook might be a little bit thicker than mine uh at this point but uh you know i mean that, that's that's really you know matter of opinion well i wouldn't assume anything about uh, a professional uh <laughs> professional athlete's pocketbook these days we all saw that 30 for 30 and uh, professional athletes have shown uh, quite a propensity and uh, uncanny ability to uh, file through and blow tens of millions of dollars and on end now when you were drafted, you first played for the Arizona Fall League White Sox, and then you mm-hmm. went to and then you went to Bristol, uh, Tennessee or Virginia. I forget mm-hmm. what side of the state line you were on. But what what was it like? Uh, the difference between going from a high school team where you just won the state championship with with right. West Monroe, thank you, um, uh, where you're playing on a team with uh, 15 to 19 year old boys, <laughs> and um, then you go into a locker room immediately where they're men in their 30s. And whether you were merely a bottle rocket or the Apollo 12 mission, you were going up. That was your direction. That was your trajectory. And there's a lot of people on that team who knew it, and everybody in that locker room knew it, whether whether they were uh, the, the challenger or the bottle rocket eight seconds later, they were on their way down. Was there ever a tension, and how material was it in the locker room, and how, how difficult was that to deal with, if at all, um, knowing that you you're a prospect and that they're basically on their way out. You know, it, uh, it's handled, it, I guess, yes and no. Um, but it's, I would say 95% of the guys, Adam would, uh, it was, Hey, look, we all know we're here vying for, uh, that position at the top. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And it's, you, you can kind of take it as look, uh, I'm going to approach every day as, as a professional. I'm going to get my work done. I'm going to work. Hey, I'm going to be a good teammate. And then just I'm going to let my ability speak for themselves. Um, and you really didn't – I guess the tensions got a little bit higher uh, when you got – as you climbed the ladder, you know, especially when you got to AAA because you're so close. You got yeah. a lot of guys with big league time that are that are there, up, down, and, and you know, you're – the whole stigma of, well, more major league debuts are made from double A to the big leagues and triple right. A is kind of a holding tank. So triple A is almost, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's kind of that, Hey, look, but you know, look, but don't touch, touch, but don't taste, taste, but don't, don't, you know, swallow. So it was, uh, when you kind of got up there, it got a lot more, um, it got a lot more tension, I guess, if you had to say a place it would, but overall, uh, it really was a bunch of good guys and good teammates. Now, sometime after Bristol, you played for a team called the Birmingham Barons, and uh, that name is ubiquitous to us because uh, we know it as the team for whom Michael Jeffrey Jordan played for a few years, and then a few years after that, after his manager Terry Francona was replaced mm-hmm. by uh, he was replaced by a guy named Wally Backman. Now, Wally Backman played for the '86 Mets Hootenears, and when you played for the '86 Mets, and your name isn't Gary Carter. You definitely know how to party. But he's a great manager, too. Uh, it must have been really great working under back. Uh, it was a tremendous experience, you know, and, and I really, you know, want, and we, we've all seen the videos on the 86 Mets and everything, but uh, talking with Wally and and seeing how Wally approached things as far as his attitude, uh, the way his knowledge of the game, uh, tremendous guy to play for, taught me a ton, taught me a lot now that I'm not playing. And, of course, I'm – trying to coach and help some kids out around here. Just uh, the knowledge he gave me on how to approach and how to see kids and how to um, 
help them out. Uh, it, it was it was a tremendous experience, and Lo- Wally taught me a ton about the game of baseball. Now, when I think about Wally Backman as a manager, I help me illustrate this if you can. I see Tom Hanks' portrayal of Jimmy Dugan from A League of Their Own, the the guy who knows everything about the game, the ups and downs, the the, the highs and lows, the the crests, the troughs. Now, uh, Wally Backman, I see, is the same way. Who with all that knowledge is, um, as a person, a bit unpredictable um, and just really deeply entrenched. Uh, Without being too scandalous, could you... Is, is it uh, like that? Well, I tell you, Wally, uh, you know, as far as his portrayal of, uh, of Jimmy Dugan on League of Their Own, uh, as far as his knowledge, uh, absolutely. But Wally, would, I'll say, Wally was the first guy in that office and the last guy to leave, and he managed uh, as, hard as, as hard as he played whenever he was a player. And he expected that. Uh, every day from every one of us and he is a true coach true manager the fact that said you know guys i don't care what the, i don't care if you make physical mistakes we won't make mental mistakes and we're going to play hard and as long as you did that he 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 would he would back you he had your corner uh, mm-hmm. some good stories about wally you know he was uh, a very um very good at very animated whenever it come time to uh, get thrown out of a game Oh yeah. Uh, well, there's a video of something like this yeah. on uh, on our website, theredstick.com. I'm I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure you can YouTube. There's some good ones on there, but that you know that's what Wally would stand up for his players. Uh, I will mm-hmm. say that. And uh, there was a great one in Chattanooga. There was you saw this guy on Sports Center. He was the ball headed manager for the Chattanooga Lookouts. Him and yep. Wally were good friends, and they they kind of had a running. When, hey, whenever one of us gets thrown out, you know we've got to kind of one up each other. And mm-hmm. uh, Saw one one time Wally got thrown out and boy, he went out there and he really got his money's worth and, you know, everything. And uh, I guess a couple series later, we're playing them at Chattanooga. Ballhead manager, he goes out there and guy slides into uh, third base. Our guy steals third base, slides in. The third baseman's holding the ball and tags him. Umpire calls him safe. I mm-hmm. mean, just, oh, I can you believe he called that guy safe? And he runs out there and he gets thrown out. Well, this manager then reenacts the scene of he takes his lead from second base, takes his secondary, runs, slides into third base head first. After he had gotten the third baseman's glove and baseball and put it on put it on the glove, slid into it, called himself out, threw the umpire out, and then threw himself out of the game. <laughs> and then and then there he went. And then while it was quick to follow suit, about two innings later, and then we found them out at the local uh, watering hole having a great time. Wow! As we finished the nine inning uh, nine inning game that night. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the fewer, uh, I guess, more uh, toned down uh, funny stories with Backman. So. Wow! Now, uh, when you were with the Barons and uh, the Birmingham Barons, by the way, I think were at the time and still are a uh, Chicago White Sox uh, affiliate. I think they still are. The AA affiliate. Now you, um, a, a few years after this, ran crossed paths with uh, Vincent Bo Jackson, who was trying to make a career comeback. And you actually briefly played on the same team as Bo Jackson. Well, he was, uh, you know, uh, the White Sox, um, actually it was, it was after that he was done, but the White Sox would bring him back in spring training uh, right. out in Tucson just to have him hang out. Him and Frank Thomas, good buddies, obviously from Auburn, obviously from Auburn. And, um, uh, I remember showing up, I'm 19 years old and, uh, you know, I'm wearing number 75. I've got no chance to make the team. I'm in big league pre-training. <laughs> I'm looking over like there's Frank Thomas and I'm going to get to pitch to Mark Grace today. And 
I can't believe this. And I'm about to fall out. And I look and I see this guy next to me hadn't reported to camp yet. And, you know, the name plate on the locker says Jackson. Jackson. Wow. I don't remember Jackson. Well, he's, he's down, he's on the last locker. So he, he's definitely not going to make the team. And, uh, I remember, I remember whenever I was sitting down, I see this enormous man sit down beside me and I look up and there he is, Bo Jackson, the guy that had the, the Beckett, the baseball card Beckett, you yeah. know, holding the shoulder pads and the bat. And there he was sitting next to me and he still looked like he could go out there and be an NFL running back and play center field uh, in Major League Baseball. It was incredible. Wow. What's it like being in a baseball brawl? I mean, I assume you've – I mean, you had to have been in some really good brawls over the years, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it uh, had – had um, I cleared the benches quite a few times, been in two really big fights and uh, – I'll say this. It's one of the scariest things I've ever done. When you think about it, you've got 50 guys fighting, and yeah. there's nobody breaking it up. Uh, it can get a little unruly. Obviously, minor league games, you know, hey, you're going to get fined, suspended three games pay. That's about $75, $78 before taxes. So not really a, a money incentive as far as the, them finding you. But uh, been in some pretty good ones. Uh and boy, it uh, whew, it can get scary and seeing some guys uh, land some shots and take some shots. Yeah, and uh, and you're six four two seventy five, and you're scared. Imagine a guy the size of Greg Maddox or Tim Lincecum or me. Uh, that's got to be pretty rough. Uh, answer me this. Uh, take this for a bit. What's what's baseball like for you when you watch, as opposed to when it you know before you played professionally when you were a kid? Uh, because you know, if I yeah, I've I've always been able to watch sports for just pure entertainment purposes. That's never changed, even though now I'm older than everybody who's in college and most people who are in the pros. Uh, like, if I know a professional musician who's been in music for decades, he, he can't he can't listen to music for pure entertainment anymore. He, he listens just for his own encyclopedic knowledge. Uh, for me and other comedians, uh, we don't watch other people do comedy just for entertainment. We... We study and, and meticulously you know, break right. it apart when we watch a, a, a comedy show. We can't just watch and hope it's funny. We have to watch and pick it apart and everything. Uh, what about you with baseball? You grew up, I'm, I'm assuming you were a big baseball fan when you were a kid, right. and then you played professional ball, and here you are uh, after your career is over. It, is it different for you? What's that like uh, when you watch as opposed to when you were a kid? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, What's, what's it like now? You know, it uh, after I, whenever I finished in '06, um, it probably and not to be honest, probably two to three, maybe even four years, uh, really had no desire to watch baseball. Just mm -hmm. kind of exactly what you're saying. It you know, uh, it, it like I said, that that was your job. That's what you got paid to do. And, and granted, it was a great one, but uh, it it probably took about three or four years before I finally said, you know, wow. I kind of am. I'm now watching it more for. Uh, for the entertainment value of it now, but it, it, it took a few years where I really kind of said, eh, man, I'd like to see the world series or watch the world series, uh, uh, after that. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it really did. It's, it's, a, it's in the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be a cruel peek behind, um, a, a big curtain kind of like when a, when a kid peeks behind the curtain at the mall and he sees Santa Claus changing into his street clothes and downing a fifth of wild Turkey, even though you knew that Santa Claus didn't exist in the first place. But still, to see that version of that reality uh, from inside the bubble, that must have been a really uh, big change for you. It's uh, it's really yeah. interesting. And it's uh, you know, in the whole you know, 162 games, uh, you know, it's it's too many. It is. It's too many. And uh, you know, I think you see a lot of this. Uh, like when in the, when the playoffs roll around, you see that intensity dialed up. 
you know, I, I know they've had that debate for a long time, but you know, if, if you shaved about 20 games off that schedule, or even 40, uh, I think you might get uh, more uh, kind of like football is. You know, it's once a week, 16 games. Uh, that's still a lot of games, but uh, it, it's it's a lot of games to play. It it, it does become a grind uh, come August and September. So, yeah, I don't know that there's anything that I do 162 times a year. I mean, this is the one thing we don't have to talk about it too much. But other than that one thing, <laughs> there's nothing else that I do 162 times a year. Okay, now to the World Series. We uh, by, by the way, who Brian? Who was your team growing up? Uh, I didn't have one, but uh, who who was yours? Uh, believe it or not, you know, uh, when, when you had cable, you got WGN, the Cubs mm-hmm. played during the day. Right. So you got the White Sox at night every now and then. And, boy, you know, Frank Thomas was a big guy. Oh, yeah. He could swing the bat. So I, I grew up, I guess if I had to say who did I follow the most, it was the, it was the White Sox because you really didn't have the, the Yes Network and ESPN weren't carrying a lot of these games. You know, they'd carry a lot of different games on Wednesday mm-hmm. night baseball. But, uh, right. WGN, the the Hawkeroo, and uh, watching the Big Hurt swing the bat number 35. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Speaking of Frank Thomas, Frank Thomas was the first person I ever saw in person hit a home run in a Major League Baseball game. So, see, we we, we have that common thread amongst us. And Monroe actually used to have a White Sox affiliate back in the 30s. They were the Monroe White Sox. Yeah. And they played where the zoo is now, where the the Louisiana Purchase Gardens and Zoo are today. All right. It is time for the 109th World Series. Now, I said, I called it a couple of years ago when the Cardinals let go of Albert Pujols. I said, no problem, because Adam Wainwright missed that next season. And I said, when he comes back, they're going to go back to the World Series. He's back. They're in. That's how smart I am. Now, you tell me how smart you are, Brian. Who's going to win this World Series? Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the Cardinals. They just seem to almost very reminiscent of, of, a, of a Belichick, a system-type you know, organization. Um, Good comparison. You've got Carlos Beltran, one of the greatest postseason players ever. If you look at his stats, it is truly amazing how good he is in the postseason. So, you know, you know, roll that in there with an Adam Wainwright. And then Michael, is it Michael Waka? I know his last name is Waka. Uh, yeah, my, Michael Waka. Michael. Who, he was the compensation pick for losing Albert Pujols. Oh. So... When you see that and you see a guy and, and you see a guy that's as tall as he is, throws a ball with, with great downhill direction and that change up and then can spot a ninety you know, ninety four to ninety seven mile hour fastball. Mm-hmm. Pitching always dominates great hitting. That that's always been the cliche and it's always held true. Uh uh, maybe not quite to the same level as Schilling and Randy Johnson, but I can see those two guys dominating a series. I can so. see it too. Uh, speaking of uh, Carlos Beltran, um, three thirty-seven batting average and uh, four forty-nine OBP in the postseason in one hundred ninety-eight oh. plate appearances in the playoffs. So you're right. I mean that 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 guy's great, and they got him on on their side. So I agree with you. I say St. Louis in six games, which means the World Series will be clinched for the Cardinals at Fenway Park, which is something I hope happens from the bottom of my heart because I would love the sight of a bunch of five foot eight. Gingers with backwards green Red Sox hats named Sully crying their eyes out into their fat 
girlfriend's breasts. I want that to happen so Very bad. detailed there. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, and look, I hate Boston. I really do. It's what, look, Brian, you know of a few controversies we have in our hometown of West Monroe, specifically that involving a certain thing that some of our fans like to wave at football games. And, uh, sure. you know, yet uh, I've been to Boston many times, and that's one of the most racist towns I've ever seen. I've That place is so racist that even the scalpers outside Fenway Park are white. And I asked them, where do you hide them? Where do you hide your black people, Boston? And they actually have an answer for me. Oh, Roxbury. And I'm like, what the hell? What do you have them in slave quarters? Jesus Christ, people. So I hope they get destroyed because I can't stand it because they're the first people in line to call us Southerners racist. They're the first ones in line to tell us how racist we are. And I'm sick of them. And I say St. Louis Uh, in six. I'm I'm in full agreement. I I think it'll be the uh, Cardinals in Cardinals in six, seven, depending on, uh, you know, how how the rotation sets up. But uh, it, it makes for a good series. That's for sure. Anytime you get, even though I know you hate Boston's got a great atmosphere as far as if you're watching on the television and then you've got the, the nostalgic and the, and the history with the Cardinals. So, uh, uh, but I, I think it'll make for a good series, and I'm going with the Cardinals in six or seven, depending on how the rotation sets up. Oh, yeah, the rotation, because uh, Wainwright would theoretically start in games one, four, and seven. Correct. Yep. yep. Uh, and I wouldn't bet against Adam Wainwright in a game seven in the World Series. That would be stupid. Absolutely. Here's something nobody points out, or at least that I've heard. Uh, the Red Sox and the Cardinals played in the World Series in 2004. Uh, the Red Sox were down 3-0 in the American League Championship Series, and then they beat New York, uh, the Yankees, Uh, in four straight games, and New York had won over 100 games that year. The Red Sox then went on to the World Series and beat the Cardinals in four straight games, and the Cardinals had won over 100 games that year. That means the Red Sox won eight consecutive games over 100-game winners. Uh, I don't know that 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 there's no way that has ever happened before. Nobody ever points that out, but that's got to be, that's insane. Uh, like I said, that that O four team and boy, when they got hot, they just got red hot, and every 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 break went their way. And and you've got to be a little bit lucky, but when they got red hot, and I, I think at that point that there had never been a team to ever come back three zero in a series. Nope, uh, and win. Not uh, baseball. Uh, I don't. I don't think you ever even force a game seven, and then to actually win. Uh, and then, like I say, when they rolled right into the into the World Series and just uh, just uh, forced to be dealt with, yeah, uh, they killed them. It was amazing, absolutely. All right. Um, so you've got St. Louis in six or seven games. We'll say you got St. Louis in six and a half games. I've got them in six games, so we seem to be in pretty good alignment there. Uh, hopefully that happens because I can't stand to see Boston win uh, anything really. Um, that has been our show. That has been Tootinetti Tuesday. Uh, Brian Brian West, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on this week. Adam, definitely appreciate it. And uh, give me a call anytime. Love coming on the show. Love listening to the show. Uh, and thank you again. All right. See you later, bud. Hi, right, man. See you, buddy. All right. That is uh, Brian West, uh, our good old friend, who uh, played for about 33 minor league baseball teams, as well as uh, your LSU Fighting Tigers uh, on the gridiron. And uh, was a member of my state champion, Westminster Rebels of the Baseball Diamond. Uh, that is our show. Stay tuned for Frizzell Friday. He's got a uh, Nate's got a Halloween special this Friday, and then uh, we'll be back next Monday with the Bicoastal Hootenanny starring Nate and Adam. Uh, follow me at Tootenanny on Twitter. Follow the show at Bicoastal Hoot. And uh, check us out at TheRedShtick.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and listen to us on Stitcher. For Brian West in West Monroe, Louisiana, I've been Adam Wilson in Brooklyn, New York. To all our friends back home and everyone else in between, I say R-R-R-E-B. And swing your toi.